0: Bicyclists are generally supposed to follow the same rules of the road as automobile drivers. But do New Yorkers on two wheels have the same constitutional rights as those on four wheels? Well, when it comes to protections against unlawful search and seizure, the answer is yes, according to a recent ruling from the state's highest court. For more on the issue, we're joined by Daniel Lambright, Senior Counsel for Criminal Justice Litigation at the New York Civil Liberties Union, which wrote a brief arguing that constitutional rights for a car driver extend to a bike rider. Welcome back to the show, Daniel.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, let's start our conversation by going back in history to 2014 when law enforcement in Queens pulled over a young bicyclist after allegedly spotting something bulky in the bike rider's pants. An eventual search produced a gun and the bike rider was sentenced to two years in prison. From your perspective, what was constitutionally problematic about that search? Well, what was
1: constitutionally problematic was that the officer did not have reasonable suspicion that the bike rider, Mr. Rodriguez, was engaged in a crime. If Mr. Rodriguez were driving in a car, it would be clear that the officer would need reasonable suspicion of criminal wrongdoing in order to stop him. And just merely having a bulgy object in your pocket is not enough for reasonable suspicion, because a bulgy object in your pocket could be anything. It could be your cell phone. It could be your keys. It could be any amount of objects that you would carry with you. And if officers could forcibly stop you for something that minor, it creates a situation where officers can use their discretion in a way that is discriminatory and that is a significant impediment to the liberty of being a
0: citizen. So is the problem that, like you pointed out, uh, a bulky bulge in a person's pants could be anything, or is the problem that for a vehicle driver, if you're driving a car, for example, the police, if they're off to the side of the road, can't even see your pockets to begin with?
1: For cars, there is this high standard of reasonable suspicion and courts have held that this is the standard because stopping a car is a significant intrusion on the movement of that car. So you're driving and an officer pulls you over, you have to stop the vehicle. It's it's a significant restriction on your movement. The same is true for people who are biking. And I think that's what the court recognized that when an officer Pulls over somebody who's biking, it's also a similarly intrusive restriction on the movement of that individual. Sure, it is certainly the case that cyclists are more open to view from police officers. And I think that does also allow officers to kind of interpret, say, bulgy things in their pockets or. Uh, et cetera, as indicia of criminal activity. And this ruling that cyclists are due the same amount of protections against stops and seizures helps to protect against uh, cyclists being pulled over for innocuous things.
0: Well, yeah. What are the implications of the 4-3 to ruling from New York's Court of Appeals? Does this have broad implications or is this a narrowly tailored ruling to the example, say, of Mr. Rodriguez back in 2014?
1: Right. So the ruling is certainly great for Mr. Rodriguez, and it also does have broad ramifications for the law. So the court did say that cyclists all cyclists across the state are subject to the same standards as motor vehicles, meaning that they're subject to the same protections against stops and uh, seizures. Meaning, again, as we we were talking about previously, this is that reasonable suspicion standard. What the prosecution in this case was arguing is that officer did not need reasonable suspicion to stop a cyclist and that they could stop them based on, as we talked about, having completely innocuous indicia of basically nothing. And that is kind of what the bread and butter issue is here. And that is the importance of this court's ruling is that it prevents um, cyclists from being stopped for very, very um,
0: innocent reasons. Is there specific language in the state constitution governing search and seizure in everyday life, like if you're driving a car? Or are the constitutional protections, like the ones that the Court of Appeals is providing in this new ruling, uh, the product of past precedent from New York Court of Appeals cases, maybe like those governing previous incidents with, say, a, a car search, for example?
1: Right so it's a co- it's a bit of a complicated question there there are two separate constitutional groundings for search and seizure law one is the New York state constitution and two is the federal constitution the 4th amendment to the federal constitution federal courts apply kind of a totality of the circumstances test to determine whether a stop and seizure was reasonable. New York, in its case law, applies a different standard, uh, a more protective standard than the federal standard, and that emanates from a case called DeBoer. And DeBoer lays out a four-step framework for analyzing uh, stops and street encounters uh, between officers and citizens. The lowest encounter is an officer just asking you how your day is. The next lowest uh, encounter is an officer asking, you know, more pointed questions. Then at the third level, the DeBoer level three is when a seizure occurs. And that's when officers have to have what's called reasonable suspicion. And then four is an arrest where officers have to have probable cause of an arrest. So the question for the court uh, in this case was where bicycles fit on this, the Boer framework. Is the stop of a bicyclist a level two stop or does it fall in level three? And the court determined that it falls within level three and requires a reasonable suspicion.
0: Well, I want to talk more about the implications of this ruling, but first, let me reintroduce you. For listeners just joining us, this is the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with Daniel Lambright, a Senior Counsel for Criminal Justice Litigation at the New York Civil Liberties Union. So, Do the rights of a a bicyclist, as defined in this ruling, extend to, say, someone walking on a sidewalk or maybe riding an e-scooter in New York City? Or is this ruling tailored specifically to, to bicyclists?
1: I think it's mostly tailored to cyclists. And I think that the court will have to determine the exact parameters. And if it, if it applies to a skateboarder, if it applies to someone on a scooter, if it applies to someone on an e-bike, I think the court has laid out a framework for how it would adjudicate those matters in the future. Um, however, it did not reach those matters because what was squarely presented in the case was someone on a bicycle. I think that um, there was a lot of discussion about where, you know, all these various modes of transportation fit uh, into the framework, but ultimately the case before the court was a cyclist.
0: So, a bulge, as described in this case, could be a very nondescript object. But in some cases, law enforcement, say, are trained to recognize, say, a gun holster on someone's hip or in their coat. If someone had seen something like that, if law enforcement had uh, detected maybe a holstered weapon, would that have represented a good enough cause to begin some level of a search?
1: Well, I think now that's going to be an open question with with um, the Supreme Court's ruling on on Bruin and and that allowing for much more concealed uh, carry and open carry of guns um, in in public spaces. I think the court is going to have to look at a court would have to look at if the officer had a reasonable belief that the individual was armed, did not have a did not have a lawful permit to carry the gun um, in a uh, uh, in the manner that uh, he or she was carrying um, it. And, you know, it it was it would be an easier question, obviously, in the previous regime where very few people had guns in New York. But as New York has to grapple with the court's decision in Bruin, um, it's going to be a tougher question for the courts.
0: So does this ruling make New Yorkers less safe by limiting the ability of law enforcement to go after deadly weapons? Because, Mr. Rodriguez did have a gun. So should law enforcement have these tools? Are we erring too far on the side of uh, the rights of the individual here? No, constitutional
1: policing is is very much in line with public safety. There's no trade-offs. You can constitutionally police and you can keep the communities safe. So, all the officer would really have to do in this circumstance is just follow him until he observed a violation of the motor vehicle of of the VTL and then pull him over and do a constitutional stop. That was complete, that's called just good policing. However, what you can't do is just stop somebody over a stereotype without any basis and and let's be clear public safety is one thing to uh be concerned about but also the racial dynamics of stops is another thing to be concerned about and we know from loads of of evidence that when officers have discretion to stop people for for very broad reasons they use it in a discriminatory manner against Black people, against people of color, particularly against Black men, and those have significant impacts on those uh, populations who are stopped. Stops are dehumanizing. Stops have psychological trauma, um, and 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 that all has to be weighed. And when we're thinking about kind of safe notions of safety and notions of security.
0: Well, would the constitutional questions be different in this case, specifically if the NYPD didn't have its track record on stop and frisk, specifically as it pertains to disproportionately stopping people of color?
1: I don't think the constitutional issue would be different, but it is kind of, I think that when courts review issues around stop and frisk, they have to be cognizant of race. They cannot uh, uh, just view kind of issues in a silo. They have to know that that their decisions on issues of stop and frisk have consequences for many Black and brown communities across the state.
0: Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with Daniel Lambright, their Senior Counsel for Criminal Justice Litigation at the New York Civil Liberties Union. Daniel, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you for having me.
1: Your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Pressroom? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.